Hello, I'm Dr. Julia Dana. Welcome to the Dermal Distinction Podcast, a master guide on science, beauty, and ethics in aesthetics. I've had decades of real life experience in aesthetics, dentistry, and training, and I'm passionate about passing on my insider knowledge and teaching you the techniques, the science, and the heart behind the rapidly growing world of cosmetic medicine. The Dermal Distinction Podcast is a safe space to explore the ethical approach to cosmetic injecting and education. It is a front row seat to a lesson in aesthetics, injectables, and skin science. As always, before undertaking any treatment, it is important that you seek advice from a qualified practitioner about your concerns. Join me each week with an open mind and remember, cosmetic injecting isn't just about changing faces, it's about changing lives. Welcome to another episode of Dermal Distinction. Today we're venturing into an area that many shy away from is pivotal in the world of aesthetics, the art and science of resolving client complaints with a touch of empathy. A well-handled grievance not only mends a temporary rift, but can cement a lifelong bond with a client. So let's uncover the strategies to turn concerns into commendations and prioritize our clients' needs and feelings at every step. Whether you're in the practitioner's chair or on the receiving end of a treatment, this episode promises insights that enhance the client journey in aesthetics. Let's get into it. Being in business, especially if you're a solo clinician, can be super lonely in good times, but even more so in challenging times. That is what has inspired me to bring you this episode of Dermal Distinction Podcast, where we're going to be talking about challenging times in your practice. When something goes wrong, who do you talk to? I know that early on in my career, I definitely had my share of challenges. I found it embarrassing to talk about and I worried about my reputation. I was worried about being judged and being a lesser person and also as a practitioner. As I've become more seasoned and I've had experiences as a practitioner and also a business owner, I've come to realize that you need to talk through your challenges with someone that you trust. And also you need to start, you know, making heads and tails of the situation and communication is really key. Each time I'm in the classroom, I share these challenges with new injectors. I hope to impart with them what I've learned through my journey as a clinical practitioner what I've learned to do, but also what I've learned not to do. Even more important is that when you face a challenge, you share your challenge with someone, a mentor or support person, because this will really help to lighten the load, but also to you to, for you to gain clarity in the situation. If you haven't had a complaint from a patient, you simply haven't been in practice for long enough. It's going to happen to all of us at one point or another. It's inevitable but the way you handle it really can make the difference between something that becomes a positive experience and one that is not so positive. So let's see what we can do together to create some great opportunities for you coming forward. Let's talk about a complaint that I faced years ago. In my early days of injecting and treating skin, I was really great at being able to achieve a particular result. What I was not so good at in the early days was looking at the patient more holistically. I was very narrow-minded because I knew how to create particular outcomes, but there were some areas that I perhaps didn't look at uh, thoroughly enough. And this is where I had a complaint and I learned from this experience moving forward. An example was 
I had a patient where I undertook tear trough enhancement. This is an area for those practitioners that are new to cosmetic injecting that can be really complicated. And from a more experienced injector, you know that this can go wrong really easily. My experience with my patient was I undertook the tear trough deficiency enhancement and I actually did a really great job. I thought that I was just the bee's knees. When I reviewed my patient about a week later, she came in and she was unhappy and I was looking at her face and I thought, I don't understand why. It looks like a great result to me. And when she started to explain where she was coming from, she was pointing out that now she could see darkness on the tops of her cheeks. I could actually see what she was talking about. And it wasn't so much that I didn't create a great result for her. It was more that I hadn't looked at her holistically and if I had have looked at her holistically, I would have seen that there was pigmentation on her cheeks before we began. So what I failed to do for her was to go through the patient journey and through looking at her very narrow-mindedly, and that was through my own lack of experience and you know a place where I didn't know enough about pigmentation, I learned from that journey and how to handle a complaint when it does happen. And they will. It's just knowing what to do with that patient and the things to say and the process to go on because sometimes it can be quite overwhelming. So when I looked at my patient's tear troughs and I saw what she was saying, I thought, okay, now I'm kind of stuck in a position because I think I've done a great job, but I actually see her point of view. So I thought to myself, I really have two options here. I can try to convince her that I've done a great job or I can acknowledge her concerns. And I decided that the best tactic here was actually to acknowledge her concerns. So we went through her photos from um, beginning to the result that we had there on that particular day. And I resolved that what I would do was I would take some time to consider our way forward from here. And that was a great way of me being able to then consult with some colleagues and some people who I considered mentors to determine, well, okay, I've created great tear trough, but what do I now do about the pigmentation? Because at that particular time, I didn't have the skill set to know what to say and what to do. So by sharing some of these stories and my journey as a clinician, I'm hoping that I can help you in your journey as a clinician. When we're dealing with complaints, there are some key principles that I consider to be necessary each and every time. We all hope that we don't get a complaint, but as I mentioned, it's inevitable as part of our clinical practice. So key principle number one is to consider your results. So really have a look at it and acknowledge what is great about it and what's not so great about it. Once you've determined that perhaps you see what the patient is um, complaining about, you need to have now a way forward. So the first thing you need to do is to listen. So listen to your patient and see where they're coming from. That's number one, listen. Listen more than you talk. Number two is now we need to determine what are we going to do from here. And do you know one of the key things that I've worked out works really well for me is actually ask the patient, what would you like to do? It seems like such a simple thing, but asking the patient, well, what do they see as a way going forward from here? I think sometimes as clinical practitioners, we jump to conclusions and we think, oh, you know, the patient's upset with me and they probably want me to do A, B, C. But really what the patient wants sometimes is just to be heard. And maybe 
they want some reassurance. Maybe it's as simple as something something as just listening to the patient and then asking them what do they want. Once you know what they want, then we need to have some time to consider, well, how are we going to meet this expectation? And can we meet the expectation? Maybe we are not the best ones to continue forward with this patient's journey. Another way that I'd also guess recommend that you consider looking after your patients is also to acknowledge that something has happened, to listen to your patient, as I've mentioned, to ask them for the way forward. But the third thing is to keep a level head. Often when someone is not happy with us, our first way of, I guess, dealing with this is to get defensive. And sometimes we'll start to make excuses. Sometimes we'll even raise our voice or talk over the patient. You need to keep calm. You need to remain rational and you need to keep your head together. No cockiness, no self-righteousness. Listen, act accordingly. Keeping your voice down at a normal conversational level is so important. Sometimes when patients are concerned or distressed, they'll raise their voice, which encourages us sometimes to raise our voice to meet the challenge. It's important to remain rational, to remain in normal conversation and to delve further into that patient's concerns. What do you want me to do for you to make this better? Where do you see us going forward? Perhaps the patient has the solution for their problem. It might be that they prefer to be referred to another practitioner and that might be the best solution for that particular patient. So I guess some of the keys from what I've just said are listen to your patient, keep a level-headedness about yourself and work through your patient's concerns with them. Often they'll have a solution for their own problem, which is quite reasonable and quite rational. When a patient raises concerns, the first thing that we need to do is to organize a consultation. Often the concern can be raised via a phone call or an email or maybe even a DM. When the patient is in my clinical practice, I like to initiate a conversation to begin with, what do you see as the concern? Because what I think is the concern and what they feel is the concern may actually be entirely different. So I need to hear in the patient's own words, what is your concern? The next thing that I would encourage you to do is to repeat back to the patient what their concern is. This helps the patient know that number one, you're listening. And number two, you're actually on the same page. If you're repeating back the concern and the patient's thinking, that's not what I said, it allows you to clarify what the actual concern is. And this is actually really important because as we go along, sometimes we get passionate, sometimes where the adrenaline's racing and we actually get confused by what's going on. So repeating back to the patient what they feel is the concern is really opening up that dialogue and that conversation. The next thing to do, as I've mentioned, is to ask the patient, how would you like me to resolve this? Sometimes the patient will say, I'm not sure. So then it's up to us as a practitioner to come forward with some ideas. Now, if it's really clear how you need to resolve this concern, obviously you can put those ideas forward to the patient and if they consent to those treatments, obviously proceed. If you're in a position where you don't actually know how to deal with this concern, this is a time to step back and acknowledge what the patient has said and also acknowledge that you don't have the answers right now. So it could be something as simple as saying, I want to take some time to consider the concern. I understand 
that the concern is A, B, C. I'm not quite sure at this particular moment how to move forward, but I'm going to consult with your permission some of my colleagues and I'd like to share your case. Is that okay? So I think that this imparts on our patients that we're taking their concerns seriously. We're going to create a level of alertness and we're leveling up where we're not just, you know, trying to handle it all ourselves. We're asking for some expertise and some advice from some colleagues that perhaps have met with this particular concern before. The next thing I would recommend that you do for your patient is to set a timeline. Don't leave it open-ended. I would normally say something along the lines of, I would like to speak to you again in three days, you know, on Tuesday at 11 a.m. How does that sound to you? Obviously, there's going to be a yes or no answer and you need to make sure that you have the answer to their concern on Tuesday by 11 a.m. or whatever time you set aside. So setting a reasonable timeline is very important, not leaving it open-ended because where you've got an open-ended concern that is not going answered, it creates a level of, can I say, where a patient's uncertain, are you actually doing anything about it? So I, I want my patient to know I'm doing something about it and I'm going to have it done by, you know, this particular time. So this is really important. Also, giving yourself a couple of days allows you time to get your head in the right place, gives you some time to research, gives you some time to ask mentors for advice because at the end of the day, no matter what, ethically, we need to do the right thing by our patient. So it's not just about buying time for yourself. It's actually about buying time so you get the correct results, the correct advice, patients first, always. When you're dealing with complaints from patients, it's really important that you have everything documented. So I would recommend that before you even get a complaint, you need to have a process that is in writing in your practice so that every clinical practitioner and every team member knows that this is what needs to happen. I don't answer my own phones, so it's really important that my team know that when a patient rings for a complaint, we need to escalate this and we need to escalate this in a timely manner. So step one, please document your process and make sure that your entire team knows the process. For my particular practice, this protocol is written out so that my patient is immediately given a consultation appointment. I don't really like to receive photos via email and then make comment. I need to see the patient in person because photos are, you know, a 2D image. I want to see in real life my patient. I want to hear their concerns and I want to be able to speak to them and open up that conversation. Once a patient has presented, I need to escalate this. So if I feel that it is something that I can handle and that is within my expertise and my skill set, I will discuss with colleagues, mentors, my thinking, my approach, make sure that it is ethically the right thing to do, the treatment options are consistent with what is the standard protocol in the medical community, and then go forward and do that approach. If I feel that the complication is not something that I've dealt with before or it's something that's unexpected and I wouldn't expect to see given the treatment that I have undertaken, I feel I need to escalate this and I need to escalate this up the chain of expertise. So it may be that the next thing I need to do for my patient is actually refer them to a specialist. When I refer patients to a specialist for a complication, 
I don't just simply give my patient a referral name and a number and say, hey, go call. I need to actually reach out to that specialist and I usually pick up the phone myself and discuss the case over the phone because I need my patient attended to in a timely manner. At the moment, I'm finding one of the barriers to getting onto specialists is the wait lists are just huge. So I need to overcome this for my patient. I don't want them sitting in a wait list for too long. So for me, picking up the phone and speaking to the specialist and also working out the urgency with a specialist who deals with these particular complications is this something that can afford to wait for 24 hours? Is this something that it can afford to wait? for seven days or a month. If I don't have the expertise or the skill set to determine that, I need someone who can. And I would strongly encourage you to do what is ethically your responsibility and to look after your patient. Again, always putting your patient first ahead of your schedule and your day. You need to make time for this. It's very important to get the great outcomes and resolution, obviously, for your patient. Let's look now at the most common causes of complaints in any practice and how to avoid them. The most important thing for me is documentation. So when a patient comes to see me, I need to gain a thorough medical history. I need to obviously understand all their medications, including herbal supplements, which sometimes patients feel are not so important to disclose. I need to get documentation of great photos and videos of my patient. Videos are essential when we're in cosmetic injectables because patients are not a photo. They're a living, moving human being. So I want to see all those movements that they make. Being able to see those movements, perhaps I can see a hyperdynamic muscle that's moving on one side and not so much on the other. And in a photo, that's really hard to assess, if not impossible. I need to make some assessments before I actually speak to the patient. So often I'll look through my photos, I'll look through my video before I actually talk to my patient. Now, I know that sounds kind of backwards, but when I start speaking to a patient, sometimes I start to move off and start looking at their particular concern. For me, in the early days of my practice, I didn't have a complete setup for you know, various reasons. I was just starting out and so on. And so often what I would do at the beginning of my clinical practice was I would bring my patient in, I would speak to them one-on-one, -on -one, but they'd be talking to me face-to-face. -face. Sounds great, right? But as soon as I'd sit them in my you know clinical chair and I was about to start doing work on them, I'd be like, wow, I did not notice their profile and their chin is just so far back. And so I'd miss key opportunities to number one, maybe undertake that treatment that they actually really need, but number two, to actually address, you know, look, if we um, treat areas of, say, your lips, for example, we really need to support the chin to get a better outcome. So I was doing a disservice to my patients. So undertaking those assessments is really important. When we're doing um, treatment for our patients in our clinical practice, probably around 15 to 16 photos from different angles using different expressions, as well as a one-minute video. We ask our patient to just speak to us on camera about their day. And as they're talking to us about their day, I'll pick up different movements that sometimes patients don't even show in photos because they give me the Instagram smile rather than the actual smile that they do when they're not thinking about it. So undertaking those assessments before you see a patient is really important. I like to work through from the top to the bottom. And what I mean by that is even though the patient might be coming in for lip enhancement, I start by looking at the top of their head, 
and work my way down through all the good bits, the not so great bits, the bits that I think I can help, the bits that I think are great already and don't need any work because this is going to be part of my conversation with the patient as well. The next thing I need to do then is obviously bring my patient in. And once I bring my patient in, I'm going to go through this journey with them. So I will look through the photos. I'm going to give them a really great understanding of what I'm seeing and what I'm thinking. And it's actually quite an empowering process because when you bring your patient into this journey, some of the areas that they can't see, for instance, the example of that chin profile, sometimes patients don't actually see their lateral profile at all. And once you point out the chin, it's not to make someone feel bad. It's so that they understand the reasoning for your treatment options and the plan that you have for them because I want them to be on board and I want them to see the big picture. We need to be on the same page. That's my responsibility to the patient. That's how I gain consent. This is really, really important. Finally, to help the complaint process also to avoid these complaints, taking photos and video on the way out. This is equally as important. We always focus on, you know, the before and then we think, oh, I'm going to review my patient in, you know, a week or whatever it is. I want to take photos of the patient on the way out. The reason for this is I want to know, okay, these are the sites that I've actually injected. I can see them in the photo. I want to be able to follow that journey. Was there a little bruise that came up straight away? I want to know exactly where it was. I want to see it progress. If there's something I'm seeing in a photo that perhaps I didn't actually see when I was looking at the patient while I was treating them because I was so focused on my area, I want to have a another check. It's just a checklist, another protocol I've got in place to make sure that I'm picking up on all those little things and even bigger things so that I don't end up with a complication and then a complaint. As part of my clinical journey, I haven't had protocols in place the entire time. And unfortunately, it does sometimes take, you know, something going wrong for you to realize that you could do things better and you can be better. As I've grown in my business and as a clinician, I've taken the time to literally work out every single process that we do from onboarding a client through the medical history, the whole way through to sending out a, this is time to come back for your review appointment. We have a protocol for everything. When you get a complaint from a patient, I would take this as an opportunity to learn from it, what went wrong, what protocol either wasn't followed, or maybe you don't have a protocol for that at all, and put one in place. And you know what, you can actually share that with your patient and you know, mention to them because often patients come in and say, I don't want this to happen to anyone ever again. This happened in my practice where I um, had a former clinician work for me many years ago who undertook some botulinum toxin and unfortunately there was a bit of a ptosis on one side. So that means that part of the face dropped on one side and she came to see me um, for a remedy. And it was really disappointing to me because obviously I, I love great results and I love great outcomes. And I said to my patient, well, look, you know, this is very unfortunate. This has occurred. What would you like me to do going forward? There's option A, B and C. And my patient said to me, look, I actually, I don't want you to do anything, but I want you to make sure this never happens to another patient again. Now, when I think about that outcome for the patient, it actually wasn't devastating. But it was devastating for her because she felt embarrassed that every time she smiled, one eye wasn't rising up 
one side of her mouth was not rising up. And to be fair, I probably wouldn't be too pleased about that myself. But what that instilled in me was that I knew the protocol of what to do, but I hadn't shared that protocol of what to do with the rest of the team. And so that inspired me to write protocols for everything I could think of that could go wrong and those things that could go right too. It's important to have those protocols also. But from, I guess, that day forward, when we had a patient coming in for botulinum toxin, these are the steps you need to take in that actual treatment. These are the steps you need to undertake in you know, a complication. But this is also how we can prevent a complication you know, step one might be, can you please go back and get an update in your education on this particular treatment? So perhaps instead of you going forward and just doing more treatments, you know, maybe use me as your mentor, do some treatments in front of me for a while before you go and um, do those treatments solo. And we do this in the academy a lot. We have practitioners that sometimes come forward with different concerns or complaints or different complications that have happened for their patient. And I'm always happy to help and always happy to give advice. But part of my advice almost always is, do you have a protocol? And the second thing is, this might be a great time to review your education in this particular area because we've highlighted an area where there's a bit of a gap in knowledge. This is why it went wrong. So perhaps the best way going forward ethically is to regain some skills, renew your skills in this particular area. And it's something, again, I'm quite passionate about because I am not only an educator, but I'm an eternal student and I just can't imagine settling for something that I knew years ago and I hadn't updated. Putting it into perspective, aesthetic complications in the most part are not complicated and are not serious in nature, you know, for the vast majority. However, for a patient, they are emotionally distressing and very draining. I'm going to give you an example that happened in my practice. I have a patient who is still a wonderful, lovely patient who I had been um, treating with cosmetic injectables, both dermal filler and botulinum toxin, for many, many years. I was her original injector, so she trusted me implicitly and we went forward and grew together and did treatments together. For one reason or another, I became a bit unavailable. I was too busy. My wait list was too long. And she went to a local injector and she was kind of embarrassed to come back to me because she'd had a complication where her eyebrows looked kind of funky. One was up, one was down. It wasn't looking so great. Now, at this particular moment, I had a decision to make. Number one, was I going to badmouth the other injector and say what a terrible job they did? Or number two, was I going to help my patient in an ethical and professional way? And of course, the second approach was the one that I went with. So what I did was I looked at my patient. I was assessing her as she was talking to me and seeing all the movements. And again, I presented the patient with the decision, what would you like me to do? Would you like me to do you know, a remedy to this? Do you want to wait it out for it just to return back to normal? What do you want to do? And she opted for me to treat her. And with really simple corrections, it didn't take a lot. In fact, financially was not you know, great for me, but I don't work um, as that is my first principle. I want happy patients, great results. I worked with my patient and we were able to correct her eyebrow position quite well. And that patient is one of the most loyal patients who tells all her friends and family about me because I made the decision that day that I wasn't going to dismiss her. I wasn't going to badmouth her previous injector. 
I was going to work with the professional relationship that we had already established. We had been working together. This was just another step in the professional journey that I had with my patient, but it was one that really cemented me as being professional and someone that my patient could trust, even if it was to tell me that she'd been to another injector, which for her was a big deal. But emotionally, I was able to turn that patient from being someone who was highly distressed into someone who trusts me implicitly. And that's what I'd encourage you to do as well. When we get a complaint from a patient, this is really an opportunity to look at our practice look at our practice of the way we're actually treating patients and to grow from it. Although we hate complaints and we hate when things go wrong, it often highlights to us an area where there is a deficit or a gap that we need to fill. So this could be in the way that we've treated our patient from a customer service point of view. Perhaps the patient when they called for whatever particular concern wasn't taken very seriously with the front desk team Maybe it's actually something that happened in your clinical room. So we need to take a step back, document, see the steps that you went through to get to this point and see where the shortfalls are and then improve and review your protocols and your treatment plans for your patients. The other thing to do then is to look at, well, why did this complication occur? Is it something that happened because of a patient medical history point of view or was it actually something to do with your skill set and your level of expertise? Perhaps this is an area that you need to have more education in. Maybe this is an area that you need to discuss with your mentors. Sometimes it's difficult because especially in clinical practice, much of our competence and our skill set is left to us as individuals to determine. And it's when things go wrong that we really have to take a hard look at what's happened and to determine, well, why did this happen? I think that it would be a great recommendation to all of you that rather than waiting for things to go wrong, every quarter you look at what continuing professional development have I done? What have I not focused on? Of course, when we're really interested in a particular area, we delve into that area and we keep doing course after course in that particular skill set. But perhaps it might be something like customer service. Not too many of us in the aesthetic world actually do business courses, but sometimes business courses are the stepping stone to giving great customer service to your patient. So it would be a really good idea to have a checklist of different activities that happen within your business from the front desk through to the clinical side, through to infection control, obviously emergency medicine like CPR and, you know, obviously life-saving medicine, but also looking at the back end like accounting and bookkeeping. All of these different components are equally as important to one another and make us both successful in business but also great practitioners. We need to have all these parts moving in a forward and upward direction. And sometimes we forget about the not-so-glamorous side of, you know, doing a bookkeeping course or perhaps delegating out those tasks to someone who is better at them, like a bookkeeper. But looking at our checklist and working on our checklist to upskill or to delegate as required, I think should be a almost a necessity within every business so that we can maintain our success and also maintain our standards. In today's episode of Dermal Distinction Podcast, We've talked about complaints. Some of the key takeaways that I want to just stress to you is that you need to have protocols in place 
protocols in place really help both you and your team be on the same page so that hopefully, number one, you don't have a complaint to begin with. There's nothing to answer because everything is set up for success. However, sometimes complaints do happen and things do go wrong and we need to escalate that complaint. Some key examples would be if there is some kind of medical incident which obviously is going to impact that patient, we need to escalate this immediately. For injectors, this is likely to be a vascular occlusion or some sort of complication like an infection where we don't have the skill set or the education or the knowledge of how to proceed forwards. So what do we do? First thing is we need to assess the patient. We need to get as much data as we can, photos, video, history, talking to our patient, preferably in person if possible. We need to set a timeline. Do we need this to happen quickly? Can we afford to wait a day or so? We need to establish with our patient the timeline and we need to ensure that we stick to it. The next thing you need to do is to reach out to your support and your network. Cosmetic injectors should have a person that they escalate these kinds of incidents to, whether it be an ophthalmologist, whether it be a vascular surgeon or a plastic surgeon. This should be part of your protocol process. You need to have this person or people in place. When you escalate the patient and you refer them to the specialist, personally for me, I would not leave it there. I would check in with the patient. We want to check that the patient has actually engaged. Quite often what a patient will think that they need to do is wait for the specialist to reach out to them when in fact it may be that they need to reach out to the specialist. So I never like to assume that anyone has done anything. I need to make sure that this has gone forward and gone ahead. So I would urge you to check in with your patient immediately after the referral check in with the specialist to ensure that all is going well. And you know what? That's also a good opportunity to ask, could I have done something better? Once you identify that shortfall, it's now your ethical obligation to meet that shortfall, whether it be through education and developing a better skill set or whether it be through developing a protocol. I hope I've given you a lot to think about in this episode. So thank you for joining me. If you have any questions or any concerns that you'd like to reach out, you personally can reach me via DM at Dermal Distinction Academy. Thanks for joining me and I hope to see you again soon. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Dermal Distinction. The conversation continues over on my Instagram at Dermal Distinction Academy, where I encourage you to connect with me. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love for you to subscribe, rate and review. 